bless you all this evening. Hope you've come to worship. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing All That Thrills My Soul is Jesus. 529. Oh, and who?
celebration song, 1130. Heaven. 
sacrifice, oh Jesus. Oh God, that you would come down, oh Jesus. Oh God, that you would be the ultimate sacrifice to save our lives, oh Jesus. Where would we be if it wasn't for your blood, oh Jesus? Oh God, that we could come to you tonight, oh God. Sing holy to you. Oh Jesus, lift you up, give you praise, give you worship, oh God. Oh, there is no one like our God, oh Jesus. We give you praise, hallelujah, hallelujah, oh Jesus. We thank you, oh Jesus. We thank you, oh Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. We have no prayer requests tonight, but if you have a need, just lift it up before the Lord. Joseph, Brother Joseph Gindo, could I have you open up the service in a word of prayer this evening, amen. Jesus, we come before you, Lord Jesus, in your presence, Lord, worshiping you, Lord God. As the song has been, been singing, Lord, and praising your name, Lord Jesus, just soaking in your presence, Lord. There's nothing like sitting in your presence, Lord, coming to the house of God and worshiping your name, Lord, knowing, Lord, that we worship a true and living God, a God that delivers, a God that saves, a God that heals, O oh Father. We're thankful, Lord God, to be in your presence, Lord Jesus, and whoever would be preaching, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that the the Spirit, Lord, would flow through the speaker, Lord Jesus. And you would anoint the church, Lord, to hear your word, Lord, and accept it, Lord Jesus. With open hearts, O oh God. Lord God, our desire, Lord, is to grow more in you, Lord Jesus. To grow deeper in you, Lord God. We love you, Father, Lord Jesus. We didn't just come to church, Lord, just to show up, Lord Father. But we want to worship your name. We want to grow deeper in you, Lord God. That is our, our desire of our hearts, Lord Father. So from, from the front to the back, Lord Jesus, any from the young to the old, oh Father. Let us grip this service, Lord Jesus, tonight and take this opportunity, Lord God, that we have, Lord, and know that we are a privileged people, Lord God, to take this opportunity, Lord God, to hear your word, oh Father. I pray you would go forth, Lord Jesus, just be with the church, oh God. Be with every need, Lord, that might be in this congregation, Lord Jesus. Commit these things into your hands. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. And you may have your seats. Our sister Kenzie Briner has a special for us. So as she comes, can we just sing My Hope is in the Lord? My hope is in the Lord.
Thank you, Sister Kinsey. Just as our brother Tim comes, can we sing, Casting All My Cares on You? Amen. That's what we've come to do this evening. Amen. Lay all of our cares down at his feet. Amen. So I'm casting all my cares. got full redemption, full restoration, not partial restoration, full restoration, back to what Adam lost in the Garden of Eden. Every legal right to what they lost in the title deed has been restored to the bride of Jesus Christ. I hope you're laying hold on those promises. I hope you're walking with that kind of a revelation. And I want to speak on that tonight. I titled it Constrained by Love. Uh, really could be part two from Sunday morning. He, he set his face like flint. Was that the, sub, the title? And, uh, uh, you know, we have a focus in this hour. It, but it's the Holy Spirit that put us in a focus. It's not we ourselves, but it's God that's brought us into a certain line. And we're learning how the Holy Spirit deals with us individually. 
It's not just being saved, born again, baptized with the Holy Ghost. That's just the beginning. That's just a babe. But God is bringing this bride to maturity. That's our portion. You believe for maturity? Full maturity, fully clothed with the Word, fully ready for the rapture. Let's bow our heads together as we approach Him this evening. If you have a need, why don't you hold that before the Lord? Heavenly Father, we come once again before Your great throne. We are honored, Lord, to serve You. It is the greatest privilege of our life to be called sons and daughters of God. And Lord, as we turn back the pages of your word this evening, we desire, Lord, that you would quicken your word once again to our hearts. That, Lord, as we read the scriptures, as we speak of them, may you loose the revelation contained therein. For that is faith to the hearer. And, Lord, only you can give that. And we don't want your word to be a dead letter, Lord. But, Lord, the words that you speak they are spirit and they are life. And Lord, even as our sisters sang that special this evening, Lord, may each one, if there's somebody that thinks they've gone too far or they're in a hole too deep or they're in a, a valley too dark, Lord, may they know this evening that is not so. The grace of God is extended to them. If they have the least desire to serve you, that's you speaking to them, Lord. And may your Holy Spirit draw every son and daughter closer to yourself, closer to your bosom, Lord, we pray, as we commit ourselves into your hands now, asking your blessing upon the reading and the speaking of your word in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read from two places in Corinthians this evening, and I, I was, you know, I was, I was spending a lot of time in the Word the last few days, and, and uh, the more time you spend in the Word, the more the Word opens up, and the more there is there to be had. We're serving an infinite God who's revealing His mind to His bride in this day, and so we're, we my one desire, and our, I think all of our desires, is that the Lord would have his way tonight, ministering as he would desire the word to be ministered. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, we'll just read one scripture from here, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, verse 14 here, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. You can hold your finger in there while you turn back because we'll read some more in 2 Corinthians 5. But while you're standing, I'll just turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The great love chapter, as we call it, the chapter of, as Paul spoke to the Corinthian church about the love of God and how that was the greatest thing. And he says now in verse 10, But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. 
When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. But now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Now abideth faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The Lord add his blessing to the word. You may have your seats. I know the King James says charity, but it's really love. Now, we are brought into a place as believers, and I'm speaking to believers tonight. And uh, uh, if you're not a believer yet, I pray that God will quicken you. And the word that we speak is to the elect of God. And if you, were, if you are an elect of God, you always were an elect of God. If you are in the mind of God, you always were in the mind of God. Because our God is eternal. If, and if you're here tonight, I don't know if there's any visitors tonight. But if you're here tonight and the word of God is speaking to you, it's because there's something in the word that is answering the deep desire of your heart. And this great word that we have received in this hour has brought us to a place as believers. It brings us into a great uh, position in our lives. And it starts out here in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. And it says, the love of Christ constraineth us. Now that word constrain, often when in the modern English, when we think of the word constrain, we actually think of the word restrain. That is to say the love of God holds us back or, or pushes us in a certain direction, but that's not really what it means. The word constraining here, the idea of it is not an urging or a driving, but rather it is a shutting up to one line and purpose. That's why I was thinking, Brother Michael, of your service on Sunday. As, as in a narrow, walled road. So you're going down a road, but there's a wall on this side and there's a wall on this side. You can't turn this way. You can't turn that way. There's only one direction you can go in. There's no shortcuts. You know, there's no, there's no by roads. There's no uh, being distracted on the right or the left. It's what you're walled in and you're walking to a certain direction. And that's what the love of God does in our lives. When we're quickened by the love of God, we're no longer distracted by all of the attractions of the world. When you're really caught up in the love of God, it constrains us. It puts us in a place. It brings us to something. It, it, it pulls us into a place so we actually cannot see anything else. You say, oh, Brother Tim, I'm so distracted. Listen, your flesh might be distracted. But no matter what your eyes see, no matter what the devil bombards you with, and the devil does bombard you with thoughts, but yet in the midst of all that, there's something that's holding you to the center of the road. There's something that's constraining you. It overcomes all things. When it's projected, it produces the grace that was sung about tonight. You know, it's something that that overcomes you of its own power. It's eternal. It's all-powerful. It's without pause. That is to say, there's nothing about love that ceases. It never ceases. As a matter of fact, as the Bible talks about here at constraining us, the same word is used about Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And it says that, 
Uh, let me just refer to it here in Luke 4. You don't need to turn to it. But he says he went to Simon's house and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever. And they besought him for her. When a fever strikes you, you can't just turn it off. Right? When your body... My wife was sick last week or the week before and she says, I've never had a fever like that for four days. It wasn't something that you can just turn off. It wasn't something you can just say, oh, well, it just came on her. And it stayed on her. And love is like that. When the love of God comes on you, it comes on you. It comes into you. You can't get away from it. You might want to go this direction or that direction, but it's birthed inside of you. Because God himself is love. That's what love is. You know, if we, if we look at 1 Corinthians 13, you don't need to turn back to it, but you can if you want. In verse 4, it says, love suffers long. It says it's kind. It doesn't envy. It vaunteth not itself. That is to say, it does not boast. It is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It seeks not her own. It is not provoked. It thinketh no evil. I just feel led to pause on that one. It thinketh no evil. When you have an evil thought towards somebody, that's not God. It thinketh no evil. And I'll go further and say, if God is love, then God does not think evil of you. Even when you make a mistake, he doesn't think evil of you. He's thinking the thoughts that he always had of you from before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. God has a purpose in our life and God has a vision for our life. And that's really what I want to get into tonight. It rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. There are things that we all do that we make mistakes in, but love doesn't rejoice in that. Love takes no comfort in that, but love rejoices in the truth, and the truth is you always were a child of God. The truth is you are always called of God. The truth is God always has his eye on you. The truth is that God cares for you. That's the truth. You can't get away from that. He cares for us. He cares. Do we care? Amen. He loves us. It's not about uh, something that we did. It's, I got some quotes here for you in a little bit, but you know, it's not us trying to put ourselves into it. The truth of the matter is, it's God in his great eternal thoughts that thought of you down in this hour in Laodicea, and he sent us exactly the message that we need to overcome this age. And I'll go further than that. He sent us exactly the message that we need that would bring us into the reality of who you are. We're no longer drinkers of skim milk. The church has come to the fullness. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, talks here about that which is perfect is come. Brother Branham talks about it in Questions and Answers in 1964. He says, when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away with. So all these little things of jumping up and down like a kid, trying to talk in tongues and all these other things. When that which is perfect, and we do have today, by God's help, the perfect interpretation of the word with divine vindication. Now, it's not just an expression of how great the message is. It's bringing us into the scripture where Paul says, when that comes, 
I will know even as I am known. Amen. We don't have to wait to get to the other side, but laying in the message is everything that you need to know about yourself. Now, I could just stop here for quite a while. Why am I anxious? Your answer is in the message. What am I struggling against? Your answer lays in the message. Why, why is the devil so on my case? Your, your answer is in the message. Why am I going through these things? Why, why isn't my prayer heard? Why, why doesn't it seem like anything happens for me? The answer is in the message. Hallelujah. Can somebody agree with me tonight? Amen. I think we're all in agreement tonight. It's laying there, Paul says, when this time comes, when the perfect interpretation comes to the word, when the, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, all the mystery will be finished so that you can know even as you are known. Now you are known by an infinite God. That means laying within the revealed word of God. And when we speak about the message, people try, people that are not quickened by the message of the hour, the voice of God for this generation, they think we're talking about something extra to the Bible. It's not something extra to the Bible. It's the Bible revealed. Paul's writing the Bible. He says, I know in part right now, but there's coming a time where this word of God that I write, if anyone preach any other gospel than what I preach, let him be accursed, Paul says. And this gospel that I have written and this gospel that last goes back all the way to the book of Genesis, this gospel that never changes, if even an angel preaches any other things than what I preach, let him be accursed. Paul was so sure about the gospel that he was preaching. He says, but I don't see it all. He says, right now I know in part. He says, I wish I could see it more clearly. I'm looking like in a glass darkly. Now it's like a child. But when that which is perfect is come, then we'll put away childish things. We'll put away just religious things. We'll put away just things of going to church. Just trying to be a good person. Listen, it's not about you trying to be a good person. Oh, Lord, anchor this down this morning. It has nothing to do with you trying to be a good person. I got quotes on this. But it's God coming to you to show you who you are. When you raise children, you try and tell them that's not who you are. I hate to embarrass my family. Honest, I do. But, you know, sometimes my little kids, you know, they, they're at the table and they think that a knife and fork is optional. And... Uh, that, you know, they can just put their face down in the plate and start chowing down. And it's like, no, you're not a dog. That's not who you are. You're a human being. We use forks and knives. I realize in some cultures they don't use forks and knives, but they don't go face down in the plate. Sometimes they use their hands and have chapati and, and roti and all those good things and and, and so that's all right. And I've, I've eaten that way as well. But you try and train your kids up in the way of a human being. That's not how we live. 
That's not how we operate as human beings. You want to be an adult. You want to grow up. You want to behave yourself correctly. That's not the way you treat your sister. That's not the way you treat your mother. That's not the way you treat your father. Am I the only one that believes these things? That's not not the way you treat your mother. And all the mothers said, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes the children can get out of line. That's not correct behavior towards your mother. You're trying to raise them in the right way and reveal to them what it means to be part of the family, what it means to have the right respect towards parents and all of those kind of things. Amen? Well, now God in the last days has come down with the revelation of his word to say, you're not just a sinner saved by grace. You're not just some heathen that happened to believe in Jesus Christ. But rather, Jesus Christ is revealed, and you can believe it because you are always in my thoughts. Only the elect can be born again. It's just that simple. Only they that were in God's thoughts can be born again. God saw you before the foundation of the world, and he sends his word in these last days, that the perfect revelation of the word, to bring us into the light of what a son and daughter of God is and what their position is in Jesus Christ. What their rights are and all of those things. So we, we see that, that this love is putting us into a place that, constrains us. Love beareth all things, love believeth all things, love hopeth all things, love endureth all things. It's just that simple. Bad things are going to happen to you. I got some mm-hmm's on that anyway. <laughs> Bad things are going to happen to you. Only love endures all things. The devil can only go as far as we've heard recently, as far as God allows him. But God allows that for a purpose. As Brother Branham says, in his love. He has ordained us to suffer to a certain measure to bring out our character. He says, but it's all for a purpose. Because if it wasn't for a purpose, he would be the author of frustration And he's not the author of frustration. Amen? So everything that we endure is for our benefit. Well, I got some amens then. Praise the Lord. We'll keep going. All right. The love of God holds us in the right place. So Paul says the love. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5 now. The love of Christ constraineth us. This is a section of scriptures that I would just been meditating on for probably since last time I preached. And just powerful sentences. I think Brother Marcus said it the way that I like it. You know, it's just, just one sentence can be so powerful when it comes from God. And, and then verse 15 says, For that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now he begins to make some statements in each one of these verses. Well, the last verse too, but in particular some powerful statements that in themselves are sermons. The next statement he makes is, Wherefore henceforth know we no man 
after the flesh. Love has constrained us. Therefore, we don't look at each other just according to natural existence. We look at one another. We look at our family. We look at, at, at the world, not as just a natural cause and effect, but we look at it as a supernatural realm. Because love has caught us into a supernatural place that we realize there's something motivating this that I cannot see. There's something moving governments. There's something moving the, the uh, events of our age, which were spoken of in the Bible, which they maybe didn't know what it meant when that would come to pass. But here we are living in this hour. And, but love is going to hold us in the right place in the midst of all of that. And we realize that it's not, we don't battle against flesh and blood. Amen. But against principalities, against powers. He says, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. So he's speaking really to the reality of the disciples. There are those that walked in the flesh with Jesus Christ. But that's not the way you know him. Because when they walked with him, they didn't know him. Uh, was, was it Philip that said to him, Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it suffices us. And Jesus says, have I been so long with you and yet you don't know me? So they're walking with him in the flesh. It doesn't take the flesh to know Jesus. It doesn't take just our natural understanding to know Jesus. It doesn't take our ability to read to know Jesus. But what it takes is it takes the new birth. It takes the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It takes a personal experience with God to take us into a realm of relationship with him between him and us individually. Can you say amen to that? And so we've experienced those things and we walk in those things. He says, 17 now, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You are a new creature in Jesus Christ. You have been born the second time. Your first birth was not the way you were meant to come, but we came that way by natural desire because of the fall in the Garden of Eden, and that brought forth all offspring all down through except for the Lord Jesus Christ, and now we come in our season, but yet that brought us into a physical materialization, but yet in the midst of it all, we aren't really who we are until we're born again. That's why Brother Bram says you're not really in your right mind until you're born again. And so we realize now being born again, we are a new creature. We're not who we were. As the one sister said, I, I may not be who I want to be. I may not be what I ought to be, but I know one thing. I'm not what I used to be. Amen. Amen. Have you been changed? Amen. Sons and daughters of God said we thank God for the quickening of his word. All things are passed away. All things become new. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So not only has he reconciled us to him, but now he has also imparted within us the ministry or he's called us to the ministry of reconciliation. I'll come back to that. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. I want to just stop on reconciliation, but I'm going to come back to it. It says, now then, we are 
ambassadors for Christ. We have been sent with a commission from heaven to bring the truth to our fellow brothers and sisters. That's who we are. We're ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's another message all in itself. When that which is perfect is come. That statement that Brother Brennan makes in questions and answers is the question is actually, what is the evidence of the Holy Ghost? That's what the question was. And so he's speaking to the subject that has become prevalent in the last days. What is the evidence of the Holy Ghost? Or how do I know I have the Holy Ghost? Different denominations, different groups of people had their ideas and they put it to this and that. And let me just read then some of the context before that statement when that which is perfect has come. And Brother Bram says, now there's no evidence of the Holy Ghost. You can't rely upon that. You can't rely upon the fruit of the Spirit because the first fruit of the Spirit is love. And the Christian science exercise more love than anybody I know of. And they even deny Jesus Christ being divine. See, there's only one evidence of the Spirit that I know of, and that is a genuine faith in the promised word of the hour. All right, now... That statement can be misused. He's not saying the evidence of the Holy Ghost is to believe the message. It's not just believing. But he's saying a genuine faith because a genuine faith is a revelation. It's something that comes from God. It's not you believing. Believing is not faith. Faith is a substance. Amen. Faith is a revelation. Then only God is the giver of revelation. So when God reveals to you the message of the hour, that is the evidence of the, the only evidence, Brother Brown says, that I know of is that if you've got the Holy Ghost, it will lead you to the revelation of your day. I want to, I want to talk about provoking maybe if I have time. I, I don't think I will have time. But you know the only thing that provokes God is for you to disbelieve the voice that he sends. Amen. Brother Branham says I was looking at Hebrews chapter 3 yesterday with some brothers and and uh, you know to, the Bible in Hebrews chapter 3 uses the word provoke. It says harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Let me just sum this up for you a little bit. Provocation is an interesting word. I, I, I like to, when I read the Bible, how many read your Bibles? That's a good sign. When I read the Bible and I come across something that I always ask myself, do I really understand that the way I should understand that? I won't go into translating the Chinese Bible. Brother Murphy and I spent a year together working on the Chinese Bible. You didn't know I spoke Chinese, did you? Neither did I. And the truth is, I don't. But we studied the King James Bible together to make sure that, that we were understanding the correctly the words that are in the King James Bible. And in Hebrews 3, 
Paul uses the word to the Hebrews, the day of provocation, when they dwelt in the wilderness, okay? And so as they dwelt in the wilderness, they provoked God. And the word provoke actually means to make bitter. So they, the Bible is saying they made God bitter. That's an amazing statement. They provoked bitterness within God by their unbelief. You see, and here's now where I'm going to is that uh, why were they, did they provoke God with unbelief? Did they disbelieve when they, the signs when they were in Egypt? No, God sent miracles down there in Egypt. And they had this promise of Abraham. That God had told Abraham, he says, your seed will sojourn in a strange land and I will bring them out with a mighty hand. And they believed that. They held on to that for years. You could say that kept them for years. That kept them in their hard labor. That kept them in their hard times. Even though they cried out to God and says, where is the promise? But there were, were real, real believers there in Israel, and, and, uh, such as Amram and Jochebed, the parents of Moses and Aaron and, and Miriam. And, and you know how they really believed God and really wanted to see God fulfill his word. And, but when they came out into the wilderness and, and God brought them through the Red Sea, every little obstacle they came up they came up to they begin to question God they begin to say oh Moses have you brought us out here to die first they run out of water oh you know have you, is there no water out here you brought us out here to die then they run out of food and they run into this and they run into that the Bible says they provoked God or they made God bitter they they in other words they gave God a bitter taste when God was wanting to taste a sweetness of faith in their lives. God was wanting to hear something from them that says, it doesn't matter how that he said, like, like Joshua and Caleb said, you know, it doesn't really matter how big the giants are. I don't care if they're twice the size that they actually are. It doesn't matter how firm the walls are. It doesn't matter if they would withstand a nuclear blast, if they knew what that meant. It doesn't matter to us. If God be for us, who can be against us? It's recognizing the word for your hour and partaking of it by faith. Now, here's my point. Most of Israel was okay when you talked about a God of yesterday. Oh, God spoke to Abraham and, you know, we're the children of Abraham. Even in Jesus' day, it was the same thing. Our father Abraham, Moses spoke this. And we're, they're looking back to a manifestation of God of another day. But when they miss the current voice of God, they provoke God. And it's the same in this hour where people look back 2,000 years. And we all look back to the sacrifice at Calvary. But they look back to what God, what Jesus had done. They look forward to one day there's going to be a rapture. One day there's going to be a body change. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. But yet in the midst of it all, they're missing the voice that God sent in this hour. And that provokes God. I better get back to my thought here. 
Brother Branham says, that's the evidence of the Holy Ghost. When God reveals to you and you see it. This day. Amen. Don't look back and say, oh, well, you know, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus is still alive. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's here right now this evening because he said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Amen. Your troubles right now can be met by him. He's standing right by you. He's encamped around about you. And he's willing to hear your prayer. And he answers your prayer on the basis of the sacrifice of his blood, not on the basis of what you can do to earn it. Amen. And even if the devil's trying to tell you, or if you think you've made some kind of mistake, put that mistake under the blood and lay a hold on the promise. Amen. He says, that's the evidence of the Holy Ghost. When God reveals to you and you see it, thus saith the Lord, and accept it. Not what you are, what you was, or nothing about it. It's what God has done for you now. There's the evidence. Jesus give us the evidence of the Holy Ghost. John 14, he said, I have many things to tell you. He says, I haven't got time to do it, but when the Holy Ghost comes, he will tell you. Bring to your memory the things that I told you about, and will also show you things that is to come. Don't you see it? There's the evidence. That's the foretelling and having the divine interpretation of the written word. And then he goes to, when that which is perfect is come, and by God's grace we have, this is the hour of the perfect interpretation of the word. I just believe that. I believe that with all my heart. I'm, I'm sold out to this message. It's not a meal ticket to me. Believe me. I had a career. I was going places. That, that isn't what this is about. This is about the truth of the hour and the calling of God. This is God's word for our day, and I'll let the world pass me right by as long as I can stay constrained by the love of God in the center of God's will in our lives. So when the last day's message, that which is perfect, is come, then you are to know yourself like no other generation has known itself. Think about that. You to understand yourself better than Paul understood himself. You to understand yourself better than Martin or Arrhenius or Luther. I'm, I've read about Luther's life. I'm quite convinced he didn't understand himself. He was quite a character. Wesley, the same. Different ones down through the ages. They didn't really have the full revelation of the word. But you have the full revelation of the word. God has, has sent in this hour and unlocked the mystery of sonship to his sons and daughters of God. He's really brought Romans chapter 8 alive. That's my favorite chapter in the Bible. You know, we have not received the spirit of fear again to bondage, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Amen. I love that chapter. I, who he foreknew, he did predestinate. Who predestinated, he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he's already glorified. 
then what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And furthermore, I'm persuaded that neither height nor depth nor principality nor power nor persecution nor tribulation nor things present nor things to come nor anything can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Amen. I could preach Romans 8 every day of my life. I could just go through that chapter again and again and again because that's the message in this hour. Really, you could say we've come into the eighth day, not the eighth church age, the eighth day. We've been broken into eternity by the revealing of the Word of God, and the message of the hour has revealed the truth of the thoughts of God. Now, we've ministered on it lately. Many have ministered on it. I think probably we all have, in that the thoughts of God are not uh, like our thoughts. They are substance. Now, we don't know what substance they are. (laughs) That pulled you up short for a second. Their substance. And, and, and we weren't there. At least we can't remember being there. Anybody remember being there in the thoughts of God? I'd see gears turning. Can I remember that day? You know, back there in the thoughts of God. The things that we understand about the thoughts of God is because God has revealed them to us in this hour. He's made them known to us that we might comprehend them and lay hold on them, realizing who we are, that always being in the thoughts of God, we will never be taken out of the thoughts of God. And then being in the thoughts of God, the Word of God has come to move us more into that image. And that's really the ministry of reconciliation. It's not making us reconciled to Jesus the person, if we can say it that way, it's not making us reconciled to God as an entity, but rather the Word of God has come and the ministry that we have is to reconcile us to the very thoughts that God had of us. That's what we're being reconciled to. We're being brought back. We're being ministered by love into the middle of the road to see exactly what God thought of us and so that we can stand and realize, oh, that's what he thinks of me. Then I'm going to reject my own thinking of me and I'm going to accept what God thinks of me. That's the ministry of reconciliation. You are being reconciled back to the very things that God thought of you. Hallelujah. Line upon line, precept upon precept, promise upon promise, revelation upon revelation. God is pulling you right back into the very image of his thoughts that are eternal. And the last one that will be changed is the physical body. And this body will be changed and will stand completely in the image of his thoughts in these last days. What's taking us there? The revelations that laid under the seven seals. The mystery of the seven thunders, which was the mystery contained in the seals, is driving us right back into the very mind of God. Not just back into that form, because that was a substance we don't know of. But we're going back into that very image or the materialization of the thoughts of God in this hour. We take a step forward, but then we stumble. Why? Because we doubt who we are. And then we get up and we we find grace in the sight of God because he's got enough grace for us because love is projected. 
That's what his thoughts is. And love is projecting to you. And it's drawing you. It's constraining you. We want to go this way or we want to go that way. But the love of God is constraining you. I've got an image for you. Hallelujah. I've got a thought that's you. It is really who you are. And this ministry of reconciliation is reconciling these things. I know, is Brother Dan here tonight? I see Sister Dorothy. Is he here? He's out with the baby? Oh, nice guy. God bless you, Brother Dan. Give your wife a little bit of time in the service. That's wonderful. You know, Brother Dan does the bookkeeping for the church. One of the things he's got to do is reconcile. He's got to reconcile the bank statements. He's got to reconcile the bank accounts. What, he's, what, he's does, what he does, he gets a bank statement from the bank. For those of you that don't know accounting, and I'm not very good at it, but you get a bank statement from the bank, and you have a program, or in the old days it was a ledger that you wrote by hand, that you recorded the transactions on. And what you recorded here has to be the same as what is here. That's a reconciliation. And if it's not the same, you have to be able to explain what's different between this and this. Is there a check that didn't clear the bank? Is there a deposit that didn't go through? Is there an amount that's recorded incorrectly? All of those things. So there are, there's a process that you go through in order to reconcile. They call it reconcile the bank statements. Is that right, Brother Mike? And so when you're done that process... This and this are the same. And when God does his process, this and this are the same. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have been brought into a position that you might know that this is speaking of you and that you might comprehend what the length and the breadth and the height and all that is in Jesus Christ is yours. Amen. That you're a son of God with rights. That you're a daughter of God with rights. And when God is done reconciling you, hallelujah, I say, Lord, reconcile me. There might be things that are out of balance in my life. Reconcile me. There might be transactions that haven't gone through yet. Reconcile me. Amen. There there might be deposits that have not happened. Drop a deposit in my life. Amen. Drop some some reconciliation down to me, Lord. Because I want to be sure when you're done with me that this and this is exactly the same thing. You will not be a penny out. Praise the Lord, Brother Dan. I see you're back in here. You will not be a penny out. You will not be be unable to find it. God is the one that's doing the reconciliation. And he's bringing us back in line with his thoughts. And I'll say this. He's not reconciling the word to you. He's not bringing the word in line with your thoughts. He's bringing your life in line with the word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You didn't know I could preach on accounting, did you? Praise the Lord. It establishes us, this message establishes us in the reality of life 
not in the deception of this age. Sometimes you like to say you've seen everything. And then you say, wow, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. This age is incredible. The deception, the perversion, the insanity, it's all around us. But as Paul says, I'm persuaded better things of you. That's why I don't bombard my mind with the insanity of this age. Can you say amen to that? The, what you see on, and here goes Brother Tim again, on social media will not reconcile you to God. It will drive you, it, I'll say it this way, it'll put you out of balance. The message of this hour exposes the lies of the devil. The lies of the devil. And he has a lot of them. He's the father of them. But all of these things, whether we talk about the mystery of sonship, the truth of the thoughts of God, the reality of life, the, the devil's lies, we, as we talk about these things and speak about them, the purpose of all of these things, these are not intellectual pursuits of studying the message so that we can master it and have a degree in messagism. Okay, that's not what the message is about. The Word of God sent by a voice in this hour as one design, and that is to put us into the image of Jesus Christ. And now, well, you can let your mind go back to Sunday where he set his mind towards Jerusalem and how that it was like flint. In other words, the Bible says one place, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, knowing that that was the way of reconciliation. There was no other way to redeem the attributes of the sons and daughters of God than to willingly sacrifice himself, lay his life down, shed his blood, which was the only blood that could redeem us. And lay that down upon the earth as a token of redemption, as a propitiation for our sins, that we might be redeemed to God or reconciled to God. Jesus' actions were in response to knowing the mind of God. What, I, what the Son sees the Father do, the Son doeth likewise. I do nothing except my Father show me first. Amen. He just followed the mind of God. He didn't want nothing else for his life. And that's the way sons and daughters of God are quickened in this hour. I'm going to run out of time. I asked my wife before the service, I said, what does reconciliation mean to you? And she described to me, I said, okay, it's good that that." I see you remember some of the things that I've preached and some of the things that others have preached here. And the, the root of the word reconciliation means to bring two parties 
that are hostile to each other into a relationship of peace with one another. That's the ministry that we have. And when I say the ministry, I'm talking about the message. We don't have a ministry outside of this message. And the ministry that we have is to bring the hostility against God to nothing in our lives and bring us subject to God in faith. That The relationship with God was broken in the Garden of Eden. Christ paid the price with his blood that we might be brought back to God. But always remember that God is the one that initiates reconciliation. I'll say it this way. God is the, ones that, is the one that, that uh, though he is the offended party, if we could say it that way. Brother John, in your court case, if he, though he is the offended party, but yet he's the one that initiates reconciliation. Man ought to be crying out, oh God, save me, but he doesn't. Man cries out, oh God, accept me. Accept me as I am. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden put on some fig leaves and they wanted to be accepted by God in the cool of the evening. But they were not accepted as they were. They needed blood to bring them back into fellowship. And only under the blood could there be fellowship with God. It was a foreshadowing that the blood of Jesus Christ would be the price that was paid to initiate this reconciliation. And so the blood that was loosed at Calvary, now we're, we're really into a deep channel here, but I want you to listen very closely. The blood that was loosed at Calvary, it's not just that the blood was loosed because the blood fell upon the earth that all creatures of the earth could be redeemed, but we know that unless it is received as a pardon, it is not a pardon. All right. So that blood that was loosed has the power within it. And that blood going into every age and being applied in every age brought forth a word to every age. You see, the word that came forth, that's why Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 applies to the message, to the angel of the first, to the Ephesus age, to the angel of Smyrna, Thyatira, Sardis, uh, Philadelphia, Pergamos, Laodicea. That's not the correct order, but those are the ages. And to every age, God sends his voice. And what's he's doing? He's taking the word that died at Calvary, and he's taking that blood which becomes life, there is no literal blood anymore, but he's taking the life of the blood and speaking his word. And that's why Brother Branham calls it a bleeding word. Because it's the word that was broken at Calvary that would come down into every age for the purpose of reconciliation. There is no reconciliation in any age but by the word for that age. It's a portion of Christ himself through the messengers that would speak into the age. It's not just saying, God's just not saying, excuse my voice. He's not just saying, believe this or else. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I have come down with my word to reconcile you. I have come with my word in this age to bring you back to the image that I thought of you. You were born in unbelief. You were born in iniquity. You come into the world speaking lies. You were deceived by false religion. But I send my word. I send my ministry of reconciliation. And in the last days, he sends the entirety of it. 
and says, now you're not just going to be reconciled to eternity. You're going to be reconciled to my very image. Hallelujah. Love constrains us. It impels, not impels, that's not the right word. But love keeps us in the channel that I have one purpose in this hour. That's to manifest the revealed word of God for my day. Amen. I thought of doing an example here, but maybe I'll restrain myself. You know, Abraham, come here for a moment. I'm not going to restrain myself. Come here for a minute. There's $20. Okay? I want you to go and take it. <laughs> now, I've kept him because I think I'm stronger than Abraham. I hope I am. But Abraham's been told he can have $20 if he really wants it. So he could try and break free if he wants to, but I'm holding him. And he's being very kind. He knows he doesn't want to hurt me. But that's what love does. Amen? That's what love does. It says that's not, someone told you that's for you, but love is the one that holds you in the place you need to stay in. Love is the one that says, well, I want to go this way or I want to go that way. But love keeps us. Hallelujah. Even when our eyes look upon something we shouldn't look upon, and we go, oh, you know, maybe that's, that would satisfy me in some way, but love takes a hold of us. Are you okay? <laughs> love takes a hold of us. I don't want to hurt you. And, and so we, we, just, we just realize there's a greater force than ours. And it comes to us through the message of the hour. And it says, yeah, that's there for you, but I got something better for you. I got something greater for you. I got a portion that you might not understand right now, but I'm going to reconcile you to that portion. I'm going to bring that a reality in your life. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Abraham. I just wanted to make it real to you tonight. That's still my 20. But God is the one that keeps us. We don't keep ourselves. God is the one that holds us. We don't hold ourselves. Oh, you say, oh, Brother Tim, I've made mistakes in my life. Who hasn't? I'm sorry I'm going to say it this way. Get over it. Get over the fact that you're human. Anybody here not human? I'm watching. No, we're human. And Brother Bram says, God knows you're just a man or a woman, and he knows you're going to make mistakes. But he says, you mustn't look at that. So then what are we supposed to look at? We're supposed to look at the revealed Word of God. We're supposed to look at what God spoke of us. We're supposed to look at the reality of the desire of our heart to be like Him. Brother Tim, I can't be like Him, but He's reconciling you. Amen. He's bringing you to that image that He had in His mind before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. i got to bring this to a close here. My time is up. Because I want to try and end at 9 o'clock. And that'll be in itself almost a miracle. Brother Branham says, a man a few years ago didn't know what electricity was. But he had a hunger in in his heart to find out what it was. Are you with me? 
He says he believed he could make it light. Thomas Edison. And he tried 10,000 wires. But yet he found something. And he gave the world electricity. He gave the world a light bulb. Because something was moving him in a certain direction. Now, you, you, if it was me, after 10 attempts, I'd probably give up. He tried, I don't know if Brother Bram says 10,000. It was thousands. It was way up there. Maybe it was hundreds, I don't know. But it was way up there in the number of wires. He tried this substance. He tried that substance. He tried this idea. He tried that idea. He, he, he tried this and that and the other. He kept trying different things. Finally, the inspiration struck him that it had to be in a vacuum. And then, then, it, then he had, it struck him that it had to be a certain kind of wire and he began to make different things. And finally, he come to the place with, with his understanding of electricity, which, by the way, was very limited and we don't use his understanding anymore because he worked on direct current rather than alternating current, which is the standard now. But yet in the midst of all that, he says, there's got to be a way to do this. What did that? Brother Brown, that's what Brother Brown is saying here. What did that? He said there was something in him. It was the hour for electricity to be discovered. Yeah. Now we could look back and say, and there was many in that day that said, well, you know, coal oil is, has been good for hundreds of years. What's wrong with coal oil? Well, you know, they, they, they began to use gasoline lamps, uh, natural gas lamps. And they begin to pipe natural gas into the cities and do those sorts of things. And what's wrong with that? That's a great discovery. That was a recent discovery, Edison. Why, why are you working on this electrical stuff? Why, why do we need that? We got coal oil. We got candles. I think California's going back to candles. You know, we got... We got just candlelighter. We got, you know, all of these natural things. You know, I think you're going too far. I think what we did in the past is still good. But it was the hour for the revelation of electricity. Amen? And now is the hour for the manifestation of the sons of God. They say, oh, well, you know, let's just have a nice church and let's just have nice services and, you know, we can sing and shout and dance about and all those kind of things and that's all wonderful. But yet in the midst of it all, it's more than that. We're being reconciled to that which God had in his mind. He says, Brother Brown goes on, he says, man believed in television and these other things. God put it all here. There's, and there's power of the resurrected Christ this morning. Right here in this building to save every sinner. To fill with the Holy Spirit. To heal every sickness that's in the world. Hallelujah. If you just know the right wire that leads to it, it's love and faith. That's the right wire. Get on in and travel once and see if he don't tell. You know, as I bring this to a close, there was a time Brother Branham was out hunting. And musicians can come. And he got into a storm. He said it started to blow and sleet, freezing rain. He says the trees begin to freeze and stuff. And as he's out in the, 
in the wilderness hunting. He says, he, as the wind began to blow, he just stood behind a tree on the other side of the wind. So the wind was blowing against the tree and not against him. And he just waited out the storm. He said, I think he called it a Northwesterner or something. And as he's waiting out the storm and, and the water, the sleet begins to freeze on the trees. And Brother Richard knows what I'm talking about. And, you know, you get those things up in the north especially. But Brother Branham's in, in this storm and and finally the wind stops blowing, or at least the storm stops, and he's, he's there, and he, he's just thinking about God and the greatness of God, and, and he hears this squirrel start to chatter. You know, he, he describes it, chatter, 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 chatter. It's, he, it's natural sounds out in the bush, and, and, uh, and he says, it, it's, after a while, it starts to annoy him. He's like, what is that? squirrel chattering about and brother Branham is just kind of caught up in heavenly thoughts and he's worshiping God and he's being interrupted by this squirrel and uh, as the squirrel is chattering finally brother it grabs brother Branham's attention enough and he starts to look at the squirrel what are you chattering about and he sees the squirrel isn't looking at him but he's looking in another direction and so he kind of looks in the direction where the squirrel is looking and over there, in the storm, an eagle had taken shelter. Uh, and so it couldn't fly in the storm and the rain and the freezing rain and all that. So the eagle had come down into the, into the forest and, and just kind of sheltered from the storm, not much different than Brother Branham did. And so there it was standing there, and the squirrel was kind of nervous of the eagle. But as he watched the eagle, the eagle was not nervous of him and not nervous of the squirrel. He says, but the eagle kept kind of flexing its wings, you know, just kind of uh, making sure everything was working right, so to speak. And, and, uh, and then he says it took a, a hop and it jumped up on a branch and it, and it just sat there. And Brother Branham, you know, thought that, he says, uh, this is a, a thing and, you know, what God is trying to show me here, I'm not sure. And and he's thinking about it, and, and he says to the eagle, he says, you know, I could shoot you. And the eagle didn't pay no attention. And Brother Branham grabbed his rifle, and the eagle didn't pay no attention to it, or he didn't, it didn't fluster him. And finally, Brother Branham, looking at the eagle, he says, the wind was blowing just right. He says, and the eagle just flapped its wings twice. He says, once, twice. And then he set his wings on the breeze that was blowing. And he just began to rise on those winds that was blowing. Now, the eagle knew who he was. He didn't try and create the wind. He knew he couldn't create the wind. But if he waited for the right circumstances, if he waited for the right moment, he knew and had been trained in his life that I can just set my winged soul and rise up on those winds away from any trouble. Amen. And that's the way it is with the sons and daughters of God. When God teaches you and takes you through trials and takes you through different situations in your life, you realize God was here in this moment. And he came on the scene just at the right time in this situation. And he came on the scene there in that situation. 
And all the time God was with me. And I know that no matter how bad the storm is, I know that if I just wait it out and then set my God-given gift the way that God wants me to set it, I can rise up on the wings of faith. Amen. I can rise above the trouble. God's made me that way. And God's made you that way. And he actually is trying to get the word of God. And he is getting the word of God into our lives until we know that there's no weapon. The scripture we often quote, there's no weapon that the devil has that he will try and form against you that will ever prosper. Because he's made you a certain way. He's made you an overcomer. He's made you to defeat this age. And then he just sends the revelation of his word into your life. And you just rise up on that above all of the assault of the enemy. And give praise to God. And one day there will be a last day of a last circumstance. The storms might get heavier. But God's training you, eagles. God's training you to know your wings. God's training you to understand how to rise up on the strength of the wind that God sends into your life. Oh, if we could just understand that, the sovereignty of God and understand that God's got everything under control. Brother Bram says the cogs of God's great machine might turn slowly, but when they turn into place and click into place, the supernatural happens. Hallelujah. There's nothing the devil can do to stop the elect of God in this hour. There's nothing the devil can do to stop the plan of God in your life. Hallelujah. Why don't we rise up together and sing that song? What else would we sing? Set your wings on the winds of faith. There are two roads that you might take. One by sight. One by faith. But take the word of God. Take God's reconciliation and you will see what you believe is what will be. Amen. Do you believe that tonight? There are two roads you may take. One by side, one by
last verse we just sang, what's your need? What's your cry? If you could really just lay a hold of what God has done for you. Let God pour revelation in your life. You will overcome. It's just that simple. It's impossible for the gates of hell to prevail against the revelation of God's Word. It's impossible. You might need to cry out to God. You might need to get desperate with God. But the one place that that will lead you is is to a surrender to the mind of God. For He knows what you have need of. He knows all about you. And He knows you'll be there in the end. Hope that's not too strong for you. He knows you'll be there. You might be off in this direction tonight. You might be off in that direction. That doesn't mean that much to God. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees your journey all along the way. But I'll say to you tonight, if if God's calling you, you just need to raise your hands and say, Lord, I want to surrender to you tonight. I I want to just receive your reconciliation in my life. I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of natural things that that pull me down. I want the winds of God to come under my wings tonight and lift me up into the heavenlies, heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As we bow our heads together, why don't you just raise your hands to him and say, Lord, just come under my wings tonight. Lord, just send forth the power of your word in my life tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see everyone that is gathered in divine presence tonight. Lord, you know every life. You know every heart. You know every desire. You know every lie of the devil that the devil is trying to inflict your children with. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we renounce the devil tonight. We renounce his lies. We renounce his tactics. We renounce his his deceptions that try and hold us from the revelation of the word. We claim your revelation not only for our lives, Lord. We claim it for our families. We claim it for our loved ones. We claim it for our children. We claim your word going after them tonight, oh God. And say, Lord, may you lift them up above the things of the world. May you wake them up from the world, Lord, we pray. We commit ourselves to you. And Lord, we believe your word will accomplish all that it was sent forth. Forgive us where we've ever doubted you, Lord. Let us not provoke you, O God. But Lord, may our our lives bring a sweet savor into your presence. May our faith be a sweet smell to you, O God. Not a bitterness in your presence, O Lord. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus Christ's name. Let's sing that next verse. Oh, watch the eagle in the sky. He does not struggle. He does.
first verse of I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice and it told thy love to me for I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Is that your desire tonight? Let's just commit ourselves to him before we go. Let's just say, Lord, I've heard your word tonight. I believe what you're doing in this day to bring me closer. And I want to respond. You know, reconciliation requires a response on both parties. One party will initiate, and it's usually the aggrieved party, but the other party must also come to that same place to receive reconciliation. You must respond with repentance. You must respond with making things right. And then there can be a reconciliation. Be ye reconciled to God. As Paul says, I say to you, be ye reconciled. And let him draw you nearer into the thoughts that he has of you. I am thine. Christ.